Hey, hey, everybody. This is Kim C, and you're listening to The Year of Underrated Stephen King. This is a literary book podcast where this university fiction teacher does her very best to closely examine the underrated titles of His Holiness Stephen King. Hello, everybody, and happy post-Christmas. Do forgive the delay on this second episode following part one of The Wastelands. This is part two. The accompaniment has delayed slightly. I did get sucked into all things holiday coma, post-holiday coma. I think I'm still in it a little bit, so if I flub any words, just blame it on all the wine and candy. Uh, I did my very best to complete the novel in a timely manner as well as give it some stew time to simmer because oh my goodness the reason why I divided the wastelands into two episodes was because this thing is an absolute juggernaut dear folks oh my goodness uh once more if you're just joining us for the very first time I am new to the Dark Tower. I am very new to Stephen King in general. Well, I mean, maybe not so new, a good uh, decade or so, uh, less than about eight, eight-ish years, if I can do math. <laughs> so um, this is my very first time making my way through the Dark Tower and my very first time reading The Wastelands. So if you would like to hear coverage on part one, where I examine what I really enjoyed of the first 300, 350 pages, please jump back to part one. This episode is going to be focusing on part two and taking a look at the wild, absolutely banana balls, crazy plot that unravels in the second half of this story. So I've got a couple questions I'm hoping that the Tower Junkie audience can assist me with, although you might not be able to help me too, too much on it. I think the big questions I have might spoil a little bit, um, but better coming from you than me sort of clicking around on Wikipedia pages and doing some damage, but um, I really enjoyed The Wastelands, dear friends. I thought... Um, In my previous episodes, I thought the gunslinger was just strange. Uh, I was kind of just taking it with a grain of salt as I was making my way across the individual books, um, chapters, books, stories. Um, Then I got to the last one where Roland finally meets up with the men in black. They have a bit of palaver. There's some tarot cards exchanged. I was on board. I was on board when I really found out what the Dark Tower was. I mean, I don't exactly know what it is, but I know a little bit about what it is. In terms of this, it's everything. It's holding the fabric of existence up. Uh, it's it's all the things. It's the, the central source of all life, space, time, all the things. Um, I think it could be more than that. Uh, I'm just learning that as I make my way across. Um, so Gunslinger was a little bit of an odd ducky. Then a couple months later, I participated in Drawing of the Three. That was an absolute blast. That is such a character novel. That is fun. It is an 80s action-packed adventure. Super wild. I was all about that Odetta, Detta, Susanna, um, 
tripod of, of amazingness. So you can jump back to my episodes on the gunslinger and drawing of the three to kind of listen as I tiptoe into this world, this world of the Cotet and this world of Roland, Shane, of Gilead. Uh, but now I am reporting to you live after recently finishing the entire Wastelands novel for the very first time. And let me tell you guys, I'm here for it. I was all about it. I loved it. This was a ton of fun. It was pure plot. It was wonderful character development that we got to kind of see um, to a greater degree in this iteration. Um, so much happened, you guys. I just cannot, when I think about everything that happened in the Wastelands, it is immense. It is absolutely immense. This was, I, yeah, I'm so glad I split it because I don't even know where to begin with everything that's happened um, in terms of uh, what I kind of covered in part one was what I admired about the structure of the story, the alternating chapters, how we actually get Jake into uh, the other world. I believe it's mid-world. Uh, it could be, I don't know, there's a lot of worlds, guys. Please forgive me if I'm getting it wrong. But uh, we get him to where uh, Susanna, Eddie, and Roland are. So we've got the Kata back together. We meet the preciousness that is Oi, the Billy Bumbler. And we ended our last episode right about where uh, the Kothet reaches the city of Lud and crazy stuff starts to go down. So what we're going to do in this episode is kind of similar to what we did in the last one, which is to kind of take a very loose approach. Typically here on the Year of Underrated Stephen King, we have a little bit more structure and format for these episodes. I have a portion of what I feel is working really well in the text, what is strong in the writing, in the, in the crafting of the story all the narrative strength, we take a look at that. Sometimes we take a look from the, at the text and kind of investigate what we're dealing with. We'll transition to what I feel is not working so well, very much like you would in a fiction workshop, and then we'll kind of conclude with some last-minute questions, observations, etc. I think because The Wastelands is such a wild, bombastic, layered, absolutely action-packed adventure, I kind of wanted to have a more loose approach and just kind of talk about everything that I'm observing, what I'm enjoying, things I'm noticing. It's kind of all together. It's the holiday feast of all the menu items at the same time. So it's a grand buffet. So grab your plate and uh, let's heap on some, some scoops of what the second half of The Wastelands has brought forth because whoa, just wow. So we're just going to get right into it. This is just kind of a post-holiday, post-Christmas, pre-New Year's, um, it, yes, a smorgasbord. It's just all out on the table. We're just going to talk about it as if you guys were all in the room with me. I'm just going to let it all out. I do, of course, have some uh, bulleted points so we can keep track of everything. I got my little notes here ready to go, but we're just going to have a really informal, super fun investigation of the second half of The Wasteland. So where I ended last time, of course, is uh, the gang kind of arriving to this apocalyptic looking place that was kind of New Yorkish. 
um, and our gang was crossing a bridge similar to, it might have been the George Washington Bridge that is in New York City. Um, I might have flubbed that. I don't know if it's Brooklyn Bridge or one of the many bridges. I feel I would bet some money that it's George Washington. But anyway, um, we have Jake, we have Eddie and Susanna who are all New Yorkers. So this was all kind of uh, familiar to them. What I talked about in the last episode, of course, regarding the city of Ludd, that is where this bridge is, the city of Ludd, wherever we are in mid-world. Our quartet is trying to follow the beam, and they also, as part of their quest, need to find a locomotive called Blaine the Mono. Uh, so there's a lot of plot stuff going going on. Um, the, the quest has... It's interesting because we we kind of begin the novel with Eddie, Susanna, and Roland. We kind of hunt down Jake uh, through space and time in his 1977 present-day New York City. We get him over to us, the gangs all together in whatever time they are in Midworld, and then once we get to the city of Ludd, the the quartet is broken up again. And so I was not prepared for that. I was not prepared for more separation and segregation of the group, but that's exactly what happens on this bridge. So this is in book two, which is called Lud. And our gang is uh, kind of seeing the sights and meeting some local color. And it's not too reverse. It might be um, this is what happens when you have <laughs> way too much champagne over the past 36 hours. Um, I, I, something rivers. It is a town where we kind of get a little bit of back history that there are two warring clans, the greys and the pubes. Why the, why the, the word pube is used? I, I don't know. I shake my head. Perhaps Mr. King is having a laugh unsure but we have warring clans of the the greys and the pubes and what's very interesting is the city of Ludd is described as a kind of uh post-apocalyptic new york yet the kind of colloquialism with speaking to some of the the rivers folk that roland is engaging with uh they seem very old west so there's a lot of really cool um description and genre bending occurring in this place and then of course throughout this story we have the consistent description of these mechanical components the north central positronics which we heard a little bit about at the way station in the gunslinger we saw it much heavier at the first half of the novel when eddie Susanna and Roland meet Shardik the bear and there's like this he's got like a satellite dish on his head there's all these like little robot things I am very confused as a reader but we're gonna keep going with it so there's some big tech looming in the background and I have a lot of questions about that but it's it's very interesting we are as the reader kind of examining post-apocalyptic old west big tech and yet we have this thread of charlie the choo-choo the story that jake kind of is has participated with earlier in the novel when he uh this this very uh, ominous and huge dose of foreshadowing with uh, a book of riddles and this story about Charlie the Choo Choo, um, which has characters of the same name of our quartet. So more on that in a little bit, but there was something as we continue on 
with the second half of the book, all of this becomes like a very dark Lewis Carroll nightmare. So on top of everything I just mentioned, the the Wild West, the post-apocalyptic, the, you know, the kind of antiquated strange, and then we also have a little bit of zombie thing in there too, because it seems like the citizens of Lud have some kind of skin disease. Um, Roland, I believe, mentions whore's blossom or something interesting. Uh, that's kind of what we touched on a little bit in the previous episode, but we've got some wild stuff going on with the the citizens of Lud, which, by the way, quick uh, caveat, if you are very new to this program, I, I do my best to not reveal all-out spoilers, but as you can see, I'm talking a lot of plot right now, so if it's been a minute since you've read The Wastelands and you would like to kind of <laughs> pump the brakes, uh, let's pause. Let's pause until you're recently caught up, or if you kind of need to brush up with some Wikipedia stuff on the, the summary or whatever Stephen King wiki you prefer, uh, just don't let me ruin anything for you. I would hate to do that, but back on track. We've got, on top of the apocalyptic stuff, the kind of zombie-esque stuff, the Wild West, we have this dark Lewis Carroll thing um, blossoming when it comes to this monorail, Blame the Monorail, who is this talking train, very frightening villain who we will talk more about in the next few moments, and, and then this notion of riddles, which I can't help but think of Alice and her journey through Wonderland, and the, the Mad Hatter's Tea Party, the Tweedle Twins, and all the areas where riddles are a huge part of Alice's journey um, through Wonderland. So there's a lot. There's a lot of, of just motif, and this is just an absolute uh, spinning washing machine of so many genres, and I just love it, guys. I'm here for it. So what I wanted to discuss in this section, what I kind of noticed about this second half of The Wastelands is uh, we get a giant helping of what I'm calling villain insertion. So, oh my gosh, guys. So number one, we have the character of Gasher, who is a gray, I believe. I think he's a gray. And, oh guys, I do not like this guy. So Gasher, we meet him shortly once our cutthead is crossing the bridge because a lot of bad stuff happens. This is a very climactic action sequence in which um, Jake is almost lost, Precious Oi is involved, um, there's some shenanigans. This was a very Indiana Jones moment for anybody who has watched The Temple of Doom. I think that's a 1984 uh, Indiana Jones novel, but this was a very cool bridge action-packed moment and we see this creepy old ill-looking. This guy does not look very good. I imagine a kind of zombie-esque leprosy when this disease is being described. He's covered in it, and he steals slash kidnaps Jake, um, kind of under knife point, gun point. He's, uh, and Jake has to go with him, and the cotet is split up, and Roland has to stay with 
boy to try and save him and we kind of break up the quartet and poor Jake is in a lot of trouble. What's super gross about the villain Gasher is he of course is pretty irredeemable right away because King makes him somewhat attracted to children or definitely somebody who um, is already making Jake's age and gender something sexual. So we're already really put off as the reader by this character Gasher. So, uh, we follow Jake and Gasher and, uh, the other guys, Eddie and Susanna, they're dealing with some stuff, Roland's dealing with some stuff, so we are kind of with this guy Gasher for a while. What's interesting about Gasher, and I think I might have mentioned this in other Stephen King episodes that I've, um, that we've kind of explored thus far about villains, Gasher has a red, yellow, pardon me, a yellow sash around his neck. This is a this is a thing. This is a thing that pops up in the plot and Gasher's fate a little bit later on in the novel, but the yellow is what I want to talk about, guys. Um I believe I might have talked about it if not in not if not in part 1, but in other areas where I believe yellow is a huge thing associated with king villains, but my question to all of you is is this a king villains in general or is this dark tower villains um for example we've got the low men in yellow coats which was a fabulous novella the first one inside of hearts in atlantis um i'm drawing a blank on the year that was released but hearts in atlantis and oh my gosh I loved the hell out of that collection. Jump back to my part one where I cover that story. But the color yellow all over the place. Brady Hartsfield in the um, Mr. Mercedes trilogy, yellow smiley face. Um, we have the yellow rain slicker, which could be a coincidence. In the 2021 adaptation of Lisa's Story for Jim Dooley, there is yellow everywhere. There's also the yellow card man from 112263. Yellow, 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 yellow. Is this a thing, guys? I think it's a thing. So um, let's, let's explore that to a greater degree. He has a yellow sash, but Gasher the villain, I am very concerned with Jake. The other thing I hate about Gasher and what I really hate, it works because, of course, King is a huge proponent of kill your darlings, which is a huge thing in fiction. You have to put your characters through hell in order to see what they're made of. This is one of the fundamentals of fiction writing. We do know this, but it's hard as the reader where you see young, vulnerable people uh, get physically abused, and that's happening to Jake. He is really put through the ringer, guys. This gasher guy is extremely physically abusive. Um, he He's also being exposed to the elements. It is dry. It is hot. There is no water. He is being slapped, punched, kicked, strangled. This is not good. And Jake is a young boy, and it's very difficult uh, to read about. So trigger warning to anybody who's sensitive to abuse of young people. Um, it, it's just not, not my favorite. This is also something that 2019's novel The Institute has a lot of in spades, is the physical abuse of minors, which is kind Kind of a tough, tough thing to read. Granted, physical abuse isn't as terrible as sexual abuse if we're going to split hairs. All of it's horrific, of course, but um, 
I had a hard time. I don't like it when when young people, especially young people who we absolutely adore as characters, Jake is so special to us. We spent a ton of time with him as the reader in The Gunslinger and even more time here in this story. And we've learned so much more about Jake's personal journey. So now it's even more devastating to read about what he's going through. So Yasha's disgusting. I'm not a fan. But, um, so we've got this villain, Gasher, introduced, and for the first 300 or so pages, other than Shardik the Bear and this kind of, you know, um, a little bit of, of some past stories or references to Jack Mort, you know, we've been a little villain light, and then now, in this sort of last act of the novel, we just get slammed. So Gasher kind of kicks it off, and then we go to our second villain, the TikTok man, which uh, very ominous, very cool right away. King describes him is kind of looking like a, it sounds for, in the description of the TikTok man, he sounds kind of like a, a very sophisticated crocodile dundee from, you know, he's got this big knife and these boots kind of with pants tucked into the boots. I don't know. There's something very like British colonial wild bushman thing going on there. I like it. Uh, So the TikTok man, very aggressive right off the bat. We also find out that his name is Andrew Quick. So I think there's something to that, something much larger and connected to the this world in a greater way. So I'm going to kind of keep that in my 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 piggy bank. I'm going to do a, a kind of debrief on the wastelands with precious host Matt Hurt from Tower Junkies. We're going to debrief here pretty soon, so I might ask him about Andrew Quick slash the TikTok man, but um, we get a lot of bombastic violence and uh, action revolving around the TikTok man. So our third villain is quickly Blaine the monorail. He's the the guy, the actual locomotive, who our quartet has kind of been working towards this entire novel in a matter of speaking, Um, especially once they get to the city of Ludd. He is part of their journey. This is something that the Charlie the Choo Choo train story has been kind of guiding them to. And we find out that um, Blaine is quite a sinister locomotive. He is extremely high tech. He is very, very self-aware. This is some AI of the next level, of which I have a lot of questions as to who built this locomotive. Where does he come from? All we have listed in the Um, in the story is an entity called the Imperium, I believe. The Imperium, which is very cool, question mark. I don't know. I'm intrigued. Um, So we've got a couple techie things, a couple plates I'm spinning. North Central Positronics, the Imperium. So this tech looming in the background. I've got my eyes on them for sure. Blaine the Monorail is creepy, creepy. And right away, he demonstrates that he is somebody that uh, has the capability of murdering thousands of people within the city of Ludd via poison gas. Um, He also uh, is crazy. He is seemingly verbally put together with all his faculties, but as the reader spends more time and our characters are aboard Blaine the Monorail, we understand that this guy is 
frighteningly not playing with a full deck to the point where suicide is on the mind. Um, yeah, so we've got another villain, Blaine the Monorail. So in this last act, we are really just revving up the, the climactic, intense situations for all of our characters, which I really, really like. And lastly, our fourth is was like the ultimate jaw dropper for me, guys. And here's where I really need the Dark Tower fan community's help. I really need everybody's help on this. We meet a mysterious figure who makes his way to the seemingly dead Andrew Quick slash TikTok man, and he introduces himself as Richard Fannin. So we constant readers know that there's something, uh, alarm bells should be going off every time we have the initials R and F. So of course there's this guy is described as kind of like a punk looking guy. He's wearing a black hood. He's very strange, very unsettling. Calls himself the ageless stranger, or rather says that that is something that he's known as, the ageless stranger. He's been called um, the wizard Merlin. He has a laundry list of names, but the, the R and the F is something I would like to bring all of your attention to because, my guys, is this Randall Flagg? I think so. Randall Flagg, of course, for those of you guys who aren't familiar with 1978's epic, 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 um, absolutely not underrated, but highly rated The Stand. Uh, Randall Flagg is the epic villain attached to all 1200 plus pages of that epic King novel. Randall Flagg is huge. But, dear friends, why is he in Midworld? Uh, is this a thing? Um, because here's the thing I am getting a little confused now, dear ones. Is he, he arrives to the TikTok man wearing a black hood. Naturally, I am assuming that that is our man in black. The man in black who we've known in the gunslinger as Walter. I believe he's also Martin. There's a couple names. It's pretty crazy. Um, but he is a nemesis of Roland. Most definitely, he's the one who Roland has been hunting. As we have in the first opening quote of the gunslinger, uh, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. This is like the foundational <laughs> um, sort of tenant we have for this good versus evil quest. So when, I, when I'm meeting this Richard Fannin guy and he immediately kind of strikes us as 1000% Randall Flagg because he says to... Uh, Andrew Quick slash TikTok man, um, I, I'm gonna help you and, you know, don't disappoint me like another of my counterparts. And he says, all you have to say is my life for you. And stand readers should know that much. I didn't get as far in the stand as I would have liked to my everlasting shame. I only got about 600 pages in, but I do remember that part. I think I do remember where Randall Flagg meets the trash can man, because I believe that is the character who repeats the phrase, my life for you. So, uh, as a 
someone who's relatively, I'm about 75% on board with the stand familiarity, that uh, blew my doors in a little bit, guys, because what this means is to me, and this is why I need everybody's help, Randall Flagg has now appeared. He has now appeared in, in the city of Ludd. He is now in our story. But my question to everybody is, is he the man in black? I mean, I know that's a little rudimentary. I know it's a little bit simplistic. And if I completely drop the ball on it, definitely let me know. Um, yeah, this is me asking for like, spell it out for me as if I was in kindergarten. I need to know. I need you guys to tell me as if I were a child. So if if this is the case, because this is huge then, then, then like Randall Flagg is the epic end all bad guy, right? Like he is all of the bad guys. He's all of them. Oh my gosh. So uh, Randall Flagg is here under the name Richard Fannin. So I'm not exactly sure if he's the walking dude or the kind of, um, he's not exactly described as being the, the country rocker that the stand describes him as. This is a little different. However, I might have missed something. Forgive me if I have. Definitely highlight or give me a quote or a direct page number so uh yeah that is our fourth villain and it is huge because he basically comes to the tiktok man's aid we thought as the reader that the tiktok man was in fact dead based on what jake did so he is not dead he is alive and uh definitely on board on the team of this man Richard Fannin who has told him I'm gonna help you out I'm gonna throw you a bone here all you have to kind of echo is my life for you which is huge guys this is this is huge Randall Flagg is in our story and he is the fourth bad guy to just erupt onto the scene in the last half the last sort of 300 or so pages of the wasteland so this was so much fun, guys, to have so much already have happened just with the positioning of the pieces within this story, with the alternating chapters of where our, where Roland, Eddie, and Susanna were, where Jake was, bringing them together, breaking them apart once more, and then just slamming the reader with all of this heavy villain influence. This was just such a wild ride, guys. And this is such a dense adventure of a book. Oh my gosh, I could, this is so much happened guys like so much happened in the wastelands i can't get over it it's just wow we got slammed with so much plot and really huge revealing things so oh my god is randall flag the man in black and if that's the case like i wonder i mean i really wonder why you know king just didn't introduce flag as flag or have another RF moniker instead of Martin or Walter or anything, any of the other sort of confusing doubles um, or avatars that we had in the gunslinger. 
So um, my brain's a little bit scrambled egg on that, guys. We gotta talk about this Richard Fannin and his sort of um, quite literal handshake with the villain Andrew Quick or the TikTok man. So the second thing I want to talk to you about, we're gonna have, so we had, uh, of course, we had four villains. The first category is, of course, um, the absolute wow injection of villains and my second category is called action 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 wow 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 guys so dang we this is such an adventurous book dear friends this has so many physical fight scenes uh a lot of movement and explosions uh i thought that drawing of the three was very bombastic especially all the parts taking place in new york i i really think that wastelands gives it a run for its money especially with everything that goes down on the bridge and the fight scenes with when we get to this kind of uh it seems like the tiktok man's group or his sort of gathering of of uh, peons or followers you know it, it seemed a little mad max to me so kind of like a mad max environment where he's sort of king of these um uh i don't know wild folk um we have so ma- much gunfire um physical violence a lot of gosh, our characters get beat to hell. They really do. They get absolutely beat to hell. They, poor sweet oi, he gets so hurt. I'm really nervous about him, guys. Like, it seems like he's okay, but I don't know. I don't know. He's he's this little guy. He's this animal who we, as, as the reader, learn he's like half, mostly a raccoon. That's kind of what I have in my imagination raccoon dog maybe another kind of pheasanty thing um mostly raccoon and dog he is trying to save jake there's a precious sort of bond between him kind of like you know lassie and little timmy and he is getting so hurt by this gang of tiktok apocalyptic uh, mad max cronies they have like stabbed him and thrown him and he is just getting so hurt and i'm really nervous about sweet baby um away because he is so relentless in his protection of jake and jake is of course really banged and beat up um so we've got a lot of action going on uh eddie and Susanna are kind of in a sticky spot for a little bit of time where there's a lot of explosions and like this huge kind of um not exactly an ambush but there there's a lot of action that is so just this whole book guys from from jake and the house trying to eat him and then coming through and then whatever the f happens with Susanna and the demon which i have a huge bone to pick with um which i did talk about in our previous episode um Susanna is such a compelling character to me and I don't want to repeat myself too much in this episode about Susanna and how smitten I am for the amazing goddess that I feel she is 
Um, but I, I just, uh, I don't understand why there had to be a sexual demon that required actual penetration, albeit invisible penetration of Odetta, because she came through, because everybody needs Odetta when we need, uh, an angry pinch of, of, uh, energy or kind of like a, a boost of power. Odetta comes through to be insane and get the job done, I guess. Um, but I, yeah, so um, that's probably one of the largest, and it's not necessarily a problem. Perhaps I should rephrase problem, but I, I definitely wish that different choices were made, dear folks. I, it wasn't necessary. Was it necessary for a sexualized demon to be a part of the crossing over of Jake to Midworld? It wasn't like was that necessary i guess we could also ask in the oracle chapter of the gunslinger there was a sexualized component to that as well and even poor jake was kind of subjected to that so there's some things there's some things i'd like to uh perhaps ask matt about ask all of you about um that's the biggest problem i kind of had was you know the that sexual part not to sound prudish it's you know that has nothing it's not it's not that i just don't understand why it was necessary it seems a little gratuitous it seems a little superfluous so um yeah that was just kind of uh, a little bit of touching on what we discussed in part one but in this last half especially when the mission kind of focuses to rescuing jake we meet the tiktok man we meet these creepy bunch of people who the tiktok man feels zero loyalty to and he just picks them off kind of one by one even gasher um so yeah we get kind of an extra special glimpse into what this group of greys are into what lud is into this kind of um freakish commander kind of guy but we have so many fight scenes we've got violence we have a lot of uh rescue missions with a lot of physical moving bodies uh it is physical very climactic it feels very much like an indiana jones movie really really just action-packed and jaunty and quick moving so that's what we kind of get in the second half of this story especially when our characters finally get to blame the monorail and this thing is quite literally going very quickly across the land and um our group starts to realize he's a very unstable maniacal crazy hellbent uh, on destruction machine so we just get action 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 violence a little bit of terror a lot of suspense a lot of drama and it doesn't let up which leads me to my last point sort of the biggest area of the wastelands the final act that i wanted to talk to you guys about oh dear ones i was not prepared for that cliffhanger ending oh man um a part of me deeply appreciated it it was quite the surprise i was not expecting it and as a storyteller i thought it was great i thought of course you would have the notion of riddles mentioned all throughout this story all throughout this story we get the mention of riddles and we 
we it's a part of Roland's early life and the other stories. Riddles are this huge thing. And now when we are in this very sticky situation with Blame the Monorail, the notion of riddles is life or death. It's about to be life or death. And then the story ends. It's It ends with a note from King sort of uh, kind of telling everybody he didn't really intend for it to, to kind of go this way, but hopefully it'll all work out with the next story um, where Wizard and Glass, I believe, is our fourth book, and I didn't read any dust covers yet because I didn't want any spoilers, but I believe we're going to learn a lot about Roland's past, so I'm excited about that. I've heard rumors, well, I don't know about rumors, but I've heard little whisperings from other King and Tower fans. There's a little bit of romance for Roland, which I'm here for it. I'm all about it. I am a huge fan of genuine romance. Good, well-written romance. Let me preface that. I am a huge fan of well-written romances, especially when we get to see the protagonist fall in love, stay in love, be in love, all the things. I think it's a it's a difficult thing in storytelling. It's a difficult thing in fiction to get right. And when it is right, it's magic. And I think it just makes the tales larger than life. Uh, not trailing too far off of that, but um, yeah, so I'm hoping Wizard and Glass definitely doesn't leave us in the dark too long about what the hell happens on Blame the Mono because we absolutely end on a cliffhanger. That's all I'll say on that. I was not expecting such an abrupt ending. I was... It, it, it's one of those where you kind of just, it, the wind gets knocked out of you a little bit because you feel the pages in your fingers growing very, very thin, and yet there's still so much unresolved and you start to get a little nervous in your stomach. That's how I was feeling as I was making my way across those final pages, dear ones. Oh my gosh. So it was not the best Christmas present, I'll tell you that, to, <laughs> to realize that they are on this very sinister train who is, um, yeah, uh, we are seeing people inhaling poison gas, dying before our eyes, and our cotet is in immense danger, so much danger, um, with the end of the line looming, um, end of the line literally and figuratively, um, and so, oh, this was, that was, it's been a minute, it's been a minute since I've had a very polarizing King ending, so I'm not upset with it, but I am a little saddened, I'm just a little saddened that I didn't get to get the, the riddles, the actual exchange of this riddle battle, this, uh, I'm, I'm really curious as to what the riddles are going to be, and basically, how is Roland and the gang gonna get out of this? How are they gonna get out. Like, how? How is this gonna go down? However, it seems like despite the sinister nature of Blame the Mono, he's, at least according to the text, he seems like he might be a, a man of his word, man in quotes. Um, he, he seems to have some kind of programming setting that he would be a logical villain and be true to his agreement with the Kotet, that if he is stumped with the riddles, if the, the sort of dark Alice in Wonderland nature of this story bests him uh, because he is a fan of riddles, if it bests him, um, he will 
release the quartet um, in, at the end of the line, I believe, which is Topeka, Kansas of Midworld. So they've got a little bit of time, I hope, um, although this is a very fast train. So this this ending, dear ones, wow, I <laughs> it works. It works for an awesome conclusion of like such a gut punch to um to the reader even though i'm disappointed a little bit it was still a wild ride it's kind of like when you're at any sort of theme park and the ride ends unexpectedly but you're like you had such a great time and you're gasping and you're laughing and you're smiling and you're and you just had a blast you're a little sad it's over but you you all you have is the reflect on to reflect on the journey you just took and that's what i feel the wastelands is really successful where it's really successful we had a kick-ass ride guys wow um drawing of the three of course is a huge character book and it's a lot of it's a lot of dialogue it's just a there's there's a couple climactic, you know, action sequences in the early parts, one one specifically for each character, but this is non-stop action, guys. This is good character development. This is tremendous setting. We have a lot of foreshadowing. We have great pacing. We have great structure. We have so much that happens. We just have a jam-packed plot. And it's very suspenseful. We have the the world building of the story. We have this notion of the beam. And even though I'm still a little foggy on that, um, given my question in, in the previous episode, like I really need to narrow down what the beam is. So hopefully Matt can help with that. But you can always help me as well by writing in to underratedsk at gmail. I would love to hear from you guys, but. I can see why this story is really loved by Tower fans and constant readers. This was enjoyable, guys. This is a a solid foundation of wonderful characters who have a tremendous bond between each other. It feels like a wonderful television show, a very episodic, well-lived-in, kind of comfy pair of pants. And, you know, we had to break them in last book, but, and the book before, but now, now they're really doing it for us. I love the relationship between uh, Susanna and Eddie. I believe it. I'm on board for it. It's very sweet. I think Susanna's pregnant. She totally is. It's only mentioned once or twice, but it's gotta be a thing. It's just gotta. However, I am very concerned because Odetta wasn't Susanna's body for this exchange of, of, of Jake to coming through and uh the keys and the things and the action and the yeah there was like a penetration by a demon by some sort of entity that's slightly vague i would like to learn more about that it seems a little vague that was probably the biggest little head scratcher that i had in this story but susanna's totally pregnant guys she's totally pregnant which is exciting for the the character relationship between she and eddie um, Jake and Roland have this lovely father-son bond, as I kind of talked about in the previous part. And then now there's this very, oh, there's like the Oi and Jake thing, which I love. I love precious animals. I'm a sucker for them, not gonna lie. So we've got Oi, 
And then we have the Pursuit of the Dark Tower and what I forgot to mention regarding Richard Fannin. I will conclude this investigation of the Wastelands with this question, and that is Richard Fannin, uh, aka Randall Flagg, it's gotta be Randall Flagg, slash the man in black question mark, don't know. Uh, Richard Fannin says to Andrew Quick slash the TikTok man, they can't get any closer to the tower than they already have. So that's a whole new plot thing, guys. That's a whole new uh, menu item that we have as readers because there has never really been anybody um, stopping our people that we know of aside from potentially Shardik the Bear and of course them stumbling upon the kind of political climate of this random town. Um, granted, I mean, we could maybe jump back to the gunslinger and see that Roland's probably had quite a um, obstacle-filled set of years hunting down the tower, so maybe I'm not... Maybe I'm missing something, but this was the first time where I feel the reader is kind of alerted that, oh, they're trying to stop them. Like, they are gonna there's gonna be obstacles that are gonna prevent them from getting there like this isn't just a kind of let's explore midworld and navigate around a couple um local challenges this is no there's gonna be an active movement to stop them uh and that's huge because i don't know why um that's that's very intriguing to me why our content cannot or should not get to the tower. So I don't know if it's a fate thing, if it's a destiny thing, if we jump back to the tarot cards from the gunslinger, the palaver between um, uh, Roland and the man in black slash Randall Flagg, I don't know. Um, you know, is, is it something about that where we have death but not for you gunslinger or the fact that everybody that was pulled forth the lady of shadows the sailor the prisoner all of the cards all of our characters in the quartet um it doesn't look so sunny for them and so i'm i'm all about it i'm so into this mystery but now according to richard fannin slash randall flag um they're going to stop them. There's going to be an active movement to keep them from progressing further. So perhaps that is what we will see next book, guys. I don't know, but I really enjoyed The Wastelands. Just pure and simple. I really, really enjoyed it. I can't really give it a rating because uh, it's there's still so much going on in my mind about it. I also have a lot of questions, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have a wonderful debrief session with Matt H. from the Tower Junkies, an obsessive viewer. He's going to make sure I have all my ducks in a row concerning the wastelands, making sure I didn't miss anything super huge while also preventing from giving me, you know, any direct terrible spoilers. I'm doing my best to navigate around those, but we're going to have a debrief that should be airing soon. So keep your eyes peeled and your ears open for that. And uh, hopefully my debrief session will answer a lot of the questions that I've posed on the part one and part two of the Wastelands coverage. So that's going to happen. I think we're going to get together tomorrow and exchange some ideas. So I'm super grateful to the Constant Reader community and to wonderful 
uh, Stephen King podcasters out there for assisting me on this journey, but uh, I, I, I this one was great. This one was really, really good. It was so adventurous and intriguing. I love these characters. I love them all together. Um, there were so many LOL moments with Eddie. He is so charming and intriguing, and I am smitten 1000% for the crazy goddess sandwich of, of Odetta, Detta, Susanna, and the fact that, you know, even Susanna didn't really care for, o- for, De- for Odetta. Um, I think getting it myself mixed up for, for Detta. Detta's the bad one. That's what I got to remember. Um, Susanna, she didn't like either of them. So she's kind of like this. It's fascinating. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I feel that I'm starting to ramble a little bit. That can happen with a book as grandiose, over the top, fantastically all over the place. And I say that with nothing but love. Um, the Wastelands was wild, guys. What a wild theme park adventure. This was very, very cool. I would not say it was a terrifying ride on Charlie the Choo Choo. No, 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 because that would not be a positive experience, according to the young folk in, inside the, the colored illustrated pages of Charlie the Choo Choo. No, this was great. This was a lot of fun, and I'm very happy that I am ending 2021 uh, while finishing book three of The Dark Tower. So I feel like when somebody says the main quartet, I know who they're talking about. Um, I think I understand what Ka is now fully. I feel pretty good about when somebody says, let us make palaver. I got that on lock. We're good there. Um, yeah, I, there's, there's with Oi, I, I know who he is when I hear or see anything mentioning Oi. I now know he is the precious sidekick of Jake Chambers. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that I feel pretty good about. So, um, I'm, I'm excited guys. And I'm really, really glad that, um, the Wastelands was as enjoyable as it was. Wow, is it meaty. It is a feast of a book. It is such an adventurous story. And it's been a minute where I've just allowed a King novel to have plot, 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 um, just take me away on an adventure. I wasn't too focused on uh, some of the stylistic stuff or um, there was some, of course, there's always beautiful writing, but there wasn't really any that we kind of normally see in the underrated picks. This was pure adventure. This was pure adventure story where I was just wanting to find out what happens next. And it's been a while since I've kind of had that reader experience. So I'm very grateful for that. So I know this episode was all over the place and it was just a huge helping. I think all of us have just been eating nonstop for the past few days. And uh, this episode is a bit like that. It's a bit buffet style. It's a bit just huge Christmas dinner part two. But that's kind of how I feel about The Wastelands. It is a giant, decadent, wonderful iteration of The Dark Tower. I'm really glad I read it. And wow, yeah, over 600 pages. And we are definitely fed as the reader. So I was a huge fan. I'm excited to debrief and learn more. And Wizard and Glass will definitely be coming in 2022. So what will... uh, 
you what everyone should expect next uh we're gonna have an extra special treat as i will have our final episode of 2022 dropping sometime this week so we're gonna get it right before new year's eve hopefully that's my favorite day of the year i'm such a fan of new year's so we'll have our last episode of the year recapping everything we've covered on the year of underrated stephen king and then in January, I have an extra special surprise, a very, very fun, wonderful, uh, constant reader interview that I still can't believe it's real. It's so wonderful. So please expect that. And then we might have a little bit of a pause throughout the month of January because yours truly, Kim C, will be on holiday. I will be overseas. I will be overseas in Ireland. I'm going to the Emerald Isle. Please forgive <laughs> that terror impression my inner um lucky charms leprechaun got the best of me uh any citizens of ireland forgive me immensely if that offended you but um i'm going overseas i'm going to ireland and uh so i'm gonna be on holiday for a couple weeks so we might have a bit of a pause uh, throughout the rest of january but I promise to be back very soon with a to-be-determined king title. So more details to come. So enjoy this uh, a random ramshackle, large helping of the final parts of the wastelands once more if you would like to add any of your thoughts about this novel or any novel we've covered on the show please head over to the year of underrated stephen king at any of the socials um underrated sk pod on twitter and instagram and then underrated sk at gmail if you would like to give a shout out or provide any thoughts ideas additional content page numbers quotes anything is open and available i would love to hear from you and if you're feeling like giving me a belated christmas present you can head over to apple podcasts and give the show a five star you can share it with a friend and if you want to give me um a wonderful kiss and hug into 2022 a review a lovely review would be the best thing in the world we would appreciate that so so much please share this show with a friend continue listening thank you all so much i hope you all had a beautiful christmas and i hope that you relax this week as best as we can because we're all foggy and underwater in post-holiday food coma so stay tuned for the best of of underrated king 2021 that is the episode that we'll be dropping this week so we're gonna get two episodes in one week to say farewell to 2021 so i love you all please stay safe wherever you are and we'll see you soon bye-bye